everything's changed on my Zoom. All the buttons are in a different spot. <laughs> I don't need any more things changing in my life. <laughs> uh, I, I had to do an update to get on, so that's oh yeah, longer. Uh -huh. Yeah, mine probably did an update when I wasn't looking, and now everything's in a weird thing. Hopefully, it's recording good. Um, it says recording in the cloud now, which I've never had to do before. But anyway, um, first of all, let me open up this section of the literary message of Isaiah, because this is a very important part for this section, I, I believe. Um, let me get to... I have it here on in, in my book, but I need to find it on the PDF. Just one quick second. It's just being done. Let me just read it. <laughs> I was going to pull it up on the screen so we could all take a look at it. But um, anyway, so it says here that part five, which we're studying this week and next week, illustrates the nature of suffering and salvation. So where have we been in the past? Uh, we started off with ruin and rebirth, then the rebellion and compliance principles started coming into play, then the punishment and deliverance, and then the last two weeks we we're doing humiliation and exaltation. So I would say if you're completely lost at this point, there's <laughs> this huge structure that um, uh, that Isaiah is priming this on for specifically this week and next week. The suffering and salvation is the huge crescendo of this, this chiasm that Isaiah is pointing towards. It's pointing toward the need of a savior and the need for an end time servant. And without all of the background, you probably won't get the, the suffering and, and salvation, uh, the, the deepness and the impact and the how-tos from it. If, if, uh, so if there's anything missing, anything that's not clicking at this point, um, it's because something along the line um, needs to be uh, went back and, and understood in a more full uh, aspect. So part five, uh, the suffering and salvation, uh, it illustrates the nature of it in and of itself. And it says that while all suffering involves enduring covenantal maldiction, some suffering is punitive and other suffering redemptive. That redemptive suffering begets salvation. So let's unpack that because there's a lot of big words in there. I had to look them all up in the, dic in the dictionary. So it, while all suffering involves enduring covenantal maldiction, what does that mean? All suffering involves enduring covenantal maldiction. What, what does that mean to you as you uh, hear that and, and, and understand it? And there's no like right or wrong answers. I'm not trying to like play gotcha questions. <laughs> Life isn't gonna be perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So everything that we suffer is from a covenantal maldiction, meaning some curse has been broken or some covenant has been broken and we're suffering the curse of it, whether it's our own, whether it's an, uh, an ancestor, where, whether it's somebody around us, that everything that we 
are suffering through is a covenantal maldiction. And, and I think that that was a, a huge eye-opener for me when I finally understood that concept because Avraham keeps talking about it, but I don't, I don't know. I just kind of put it on the back shelf for a while. But um, when that finally clicked, I, I think it was very eye-opening that all, all maladies, infirmities, anything that causes suffering stems from a covenantal curse. Um, something has been broken and, and it needs repaired or fixed or repented of you can look at that in, in a family situation with divorce i mean the covenant was broken and there's the children suffering yeah yeah so for sure an immediate but it goes back farther i mean it, it can even go back you have a you know alcoholism in your family and it trickles down yeah right? exactly. but even farther than that right so yeah mm-hmm. covenantal curses um go back even farther yeah. So how does, is it the second article of faith? Now I'm showing my true colors here, uh, that we believe that all men must be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. How does that play oh, yeah. into, to this? Um, cause obviously we don't pay for our, our parents' sins, but do we in, in a sense, like how, how does all of this play out? Like in the examples that, that you're talking about, like alcohol addiction, right? I mean, those children are suffering from it, right? I mean, they, because of the sins of their parents, they, they have to suffer uh, one way or another. And um, it's not anything that they did on their own, but, but yet there's that, that iniquity that, that gets passed on and, and the ramifications of it um, have to be felt um, for at least that, that next generation, if, if not more, unless it's resolved and fixed and, um, repented of fully. That's your question about Adam and Eve. I think it's stated because many think that because Eve partook of the forbidden fruit that, that we have to go through this life experience. Well, we have to go through this life experience. It has nothing to do with what she did. This is part of the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can't be punished for the plan, but we can be punished for our own sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, like because of, of that, um, we, we get the opportunity to be born. And with that, that born birth in mortality, we have certain things that, that we just deal with as, as a mortal uh, probation kind of thing. But anyway, yeah, I, I think that that is, is very eye-opening. Um, and so what he says here, that some suffering is punitive and other suffering is redemptive. What does that mean? You can't learn and grow unless you have some opposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, let me pop this up on the screen. So this is the, the part here on suffering and salvation. Um, So let's look up the, the word punitive. Punitive. So punitive damages, I guess. Um, that's not like the greatest. I just want punitive in and of itself. Siri is not helpful there. It um, isn't that kind of like punish? You're punished for it. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. So a, uh, a punishment or, um, so there's some suffering that we endure because we have sinned and we just have to follow the consequences of that sin, uh, that punitive justice, I guess you could say. Versus there's another type of suffering, which is redemptive. So what could be like some examples of redemptive suffering? Versus punitive suffering. Because like, if I, uh, just to go along with our example, if I drink alcohol, I'm going to have to suffer the ramifications of that, right? There's, there's punitive suffering. I have to go through the withdrawals, the, um, (laughs) that my body's like rejecting that poison. Uh, I have to go through that. There's, there's a punitive suffering versus what is a redemptive suffering? What are, um, some of our, our great examples in, in the gospel of, of redemptive suffering? I, th- I think that's when uh, the Davidic covenant is, is done on our behalf or when we do it on someone else's behalf. Mm-hmm. And that becomes yeah. redemptive because we're doing that to help them in their journey or they're doing it to help us in our journey so that we can be, be redeemed. I think, you know, that word is... Yeah, for sure. Redeemed. Does this have anything to do with ascents and descents? I kept trying to think of what that, that phrase was. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, like one of our, our, I mean, the greatest example of uh, redemptive suffering is, is our Savior, Jesus Christ, right? That he suffered in order to redeem us. And, and there's other uh, lesser or, or uh, examples of that on... Uh, lower levels of the the ladder to heaven um but um there's there's some suffering that can actually redeem that doesn't have to just stem from our own personal sins that we can help bear somebody else's burdens so um i I was talking with my mom trying to find like a really good example that was like kind of tangible that i could kind of uh resonate with so let's talk about debt so um if I get myself into just an enormous amount of debt and the compound interest is just way beyond what I can, can manage, I, there's just no escape based on my income. There's absolutely no way I can escape it. So I need a proxy. I need somebody to come in and uh, help redeem me from the scenario that I've, I've caused for myself, the, the bondage that I've put myself in or uh, however you want to, to term it. And uh, a, a good proxy savior in that scenario would pay the price and then allow me to pay it back with different terms or um, with, you know, not the compounded interest or, you know, give me a furlough for, you know, 10 years or whatever to, okay, you don't have to make any payments for a while until you can get back on your feet or find a better job or, or whatever, and then you can, you still have to, you know, pay the, the damages that you've uh, incurred or the debt that I've incurred, but the, there's some sort of proxy savior that can come in and help alleviate the, the huge insurmountable um, weight of, of what we've done kind of thing. And so um, taking that principle and putting it to uh, this suffering, you know, that 
that proxy savior that would save me from debt, uh, you know, they might have good intentions, they might have bad intentions in today's world, obviously, but um, somebody with good intentions, they, they would have to buy out my entire debt, which is going to be uh, a suffering financially for them, right, right off the bat. And they, they may or may not get some of the interest back. There's a lot of risk with it, et cetera. But there, there's a redemptive suffering aspect to that versus it wouldn't be punitive for them because they didn't, you know, uh, dig themselves into that hole. But yet they are willing to help us dig our way out of it so that there's, there's still punitive suffering on our part, but then there's this kind of proxy or redemptive suffering that, that they willingly take on. And so redemptive suffering, that's a, a huge part of it, is the, the willing aspect. It has to be willingly given and uh, willingly accepted too, I think. that Anyway, I, I don't know. Hopefully that's making sense. I'm not just rambling on, but uh, debt was a, a huge one that, that seemed to kind of click. Like, oh yeah, that's I, I can see that scenario. So if we kind of apply that to to sins or, or iniquities that, um, you know, generations pass on, um, then we can start kind of pulling out this idea of redemptive suffering and, and how we might be partakers in that and, and willingly offer our help to others. Uh, because some of us are, are so mired down in, in whatever sin or uh, just mess that we've made for ourselves or you know maybe it was an involuntary kind of bondage thing but yet we need proxy saviors to, to come and just give us a hand they don't need to you know absolve us of all sins and, and make us clean you know that that's the savior's job of of everything but we need some help in order to to get out of some of our messes some of these uh, awful things that we've got ourselves into I don't know. Hopefully that, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so going back to uh, the book here. So it talks about part five, which is this week and next week. It illustrates the nature of suffering and salvation. While all suffering involves enduring covenantal maldiction, some suffering is punitive and other suffering redemptive, begetting salvation. But here's like the important part of all of this, uh, the kind of the crescendo of, of the book here. So it says that both types of suffering intensify prior to Jehovah's coming to reign on the earth. When they do, when both types of suffering intensify, at that time, Jehovah manifests his salvation in Zion. I think this is like one of the most key parts of everything that uh, Avraham is interpreting from Isaiah and what Isaiah is interpreting from the Lord in order to give us in this last days, that Jehovah manifests his salvation in Zion when all of this amplifies and when all of it gets blown out of proportion, when we've all dug ourselves into the, the bondage that is the last days. I mean, we have so many things that are afflicting this generation and, and there's kind of like no escape. I mean, we, <laughs> sometimes if you think about it, if you didn't have a gospel context to any of it, you would just be so lost, you know, like what is happening to our country? What is happening to the world? 
at large, like everything seems pretty dire uh, at this moment. But there's hope. Isaiah is giving hope that Jehovah's salvation is manifest in Zion with this principle. Because of all of this, there is a, an opportunity to escape through proxy work. And, and that was a whole new concept for me as uh, diving into Isaiah. I, I thought the extent of proxy work was printing out a name from family search, taking it to the temple, spending two hours or th- what, you know, through whatever ordinance you're, you're taking them through for and, and being done. I thought that that was the extent of proxy work. It sounds really great at this point. <laughs> But well, I just so happen to be good examples of um, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and all these like, like, oh my gosh, am I ready? Oh my heck. <laughs> Let me just myself a favorite new temple. I could do that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. I love that example. Yeah. Am I ready to take on more suffering for others <clears throat> willingly? You know, it, that that's that's a hard pill to swallow, but um, that's what Isaiah's ladder is all about. We have all of these descents before ascents, and, and it helps us live on, on higher levels and higher laws and higher blessings. Um, but we have to willingly descend in order to, to reap the, the exaltation or the, the blessings that, that come from, uh, each descent. It can be just punitive and, and we might not even learn anything and we just have to go through it. But there's a, a proxy aspect to it if we will willingly accept it. And I think that that's just so huge to, to understand and to, to learn from it. Well, there's a pattern to all this, of course. There's always a pattern. <laughs> yes, there is. And, and the, the Savior set the pattern for us. But he needs us to be proxy saviors to help in these latter days because there's a lot that needs to be done. And um, this descent before ascent, it's going to have to be some pretty deep descent in order to get up on the sun servant level and especially to get up onto the seraphim level. Uh, because the seraphim one is where you get translated. That's where the 144 come from, is that level. And that's the level we need to be on in order to be um, to be called back to Adam on Diamond, to be uh, invited to the wedding uh, feast. All these things, you're going to have to be translated in order to do that. You're going to have to be part of this level. And so this needs to happen here in mortality. And that's the only way that we're going to get that kind of a descent is, I mean, that kind of a ascent is to have some descent. And that's, and so he's, He's teaching us how to be proxy saviors and how to do the Davidic covenant for uh, our families. That's the best place to start, according to Abraham, is start with your families and, and start with your 
uh, ones that you're going through the temple for, the proxies that you're going through there. And, you know, things are winding down. So, I mean, this is, we got to get on this, <laughs> you know, if we're going to make this happen. We got to get on it. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't even know about all this until like a month ago or so. But I've been putting this into practice, uh, and it's very rewarding, and it's very um, I don't know how to say it. it difficult. It, I, it, it's it's difficult, but and I, the first time I was really scared. What am I doing? What am I taking on here? You know, I was scared, but now. I and you know it's it's totally doable. Mm. You know it's not. You're, you're talking in riddles. Are you talking about serving? Have you been serving? What have you been doing, Darlene? <laughs> what do I need to know about? <laughs> doing Davidic covenants for those that you're taking through the your names you're taking through the temple, and uh, and also. If for family members and stuff. So like when we have the example of uh, like alcoholism that, that you talked about prior. So there's these generational iniquities that, that are, you know, passed down. And uh, we look at Father Abraham for the best example. I mean, there's, there's the idolatry that he was faced with. I mean, he was nigh unto death. Um, looking to his his forefathers as like <laughs> the, I I can't even live in the the same arena that that they're in right now right because uh, I, I'm gonna die if I I don't so he had to first flee Babylon and and that's one of our first things that we have to do is uh, get rid of all of Babylon all of the idolatry in our lives and then work at at healing our our family's dysfunction so um what abraham had to you know remove all idolatry from his life and uh sometimes that's specifically just distance but but also he as we know from reading the the abraham book uh, he went back and, and got his father tara and and tried to tried to teach him better, tried to help him change and uh, change his ways. You know, Abraham could have just fled and, and never looked back, but he, he tried to, to fix what had been broken uh, through his forefathers. Um, we, we learned that Tara just never could really come around and uh, he had to leave him in Haran, but um, he really tried to, to fix those uh, dysfunctions. But more importantly, Abraham didn't pass them on. So he worked really hard at developing that chesed, that loving kindness, in order to, to perpetuate a different, the opposite of that idolatry, uh, a loving kindness that would endure throughout the ages. We, we see it even today, that, that ripple effect of, of Abraham's loving kindness. And so that kind of being our, our prime example, now let's take it to, to some of the things that, that we experience today, you know, the, the alcoholism, like we said, you know, it you can flee it for yourself, but also try to go back and, and, and help your family overcome addictions or um, make sure that you don't perpetuate that onto to your kids that, you know, that uh, you never condone 
that um, the, the consumption of alcohol, uh, you know, that it's bad kind of thing, make sure to teach correct principles, make sure that that gets passed on and um, uh, changing uh, the generational dysfunctions, the iniquities that, that we have. And so that in and of itself is um, kind of taking on a, a redemptive role, but um, more importantly, like, like my dad put in the chat here, explain the Davidic covenant. So King Hezekiah is the great exemplar of uh, the Davidic covenant. Well, I mean, David, who it's named after, yes. But in context of Isaiah here, uh, Hezekiah is the, the prime example that Isaiah puts forth that the Assyrians were literally knocking at their door, ready to destroy them physically, temporally. I mean, they were, they were going to die. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, and they deserved it. Their idolatry was through the roof. They, they kind of were repenting, but I mean, they deserved everything that they were going to get. But yet Hezekiah steps in and says, okay, in, in the first month of his first year of reign, he refurbishes the temple. He sanctifies the the priests and the the levites and and helps them remove their iniquities and, and sins etc and and really tries to help his people live a higher covenant and then he goes to the lord and enacts a davidic covenant and says lord if they obey my law and i obey your law will you save them that's that's the davidic covenant that people who deserve punishment can be saved through another person's actions and so hezekiah steps in as an intermediary as a, a davidic king and and says they're not living up to the full extent of the law but if i live up to the full extent of the law and they obey my voice and the things that i give them that they can merit that that divine protection and what happened the next well that night uh, an angel of the Lord went through the uh, Assyrian camp and, and killed most of them and, and sent the other ones fleeing. And so that divine deliverance was given through the law of mercy by a Davidic covenant. And so taking this, sorry, I'm talking like forever, but um, taking this and going through the temple for our ancestors, for example, is taking that name and saying, okay, they might not know the full extent of the law. I mean, they, we don't know what they are on the other side of the veil, but obviously in this life, they didn't accept any of the covenants. They might not have had a chance to, etc. But because I know the full extent of the law, I've been endowed with power. I, I know exactly what I'm getting into. I'm going to take upon their sins upon myself and, uh, and help them to, to fully repent and, and be saved in, in that kind of a context, just as Hezekiah performed that for his people, that we perform that for the, the names that we take through the temple. Uh, Hezekiah, uh, through that whole ordeal, came with the, the boil. I, I don't know. I always point to my face. I don't know where the boil was at. I assume it was on his face, but it could be somewhere else. I don't know. But um, that he, he, he got a boil because of it, and he was nigh unto death. He actually took upon himself the, the sins, the iniquities of his people, 
and and it took on a physical manifestation um and and he was able to be healed of that uh, obviously from from the story we know that isaiah comes and, and helps him overcome that part of it but um he through an ordinance through a covenant he took on the sins of his people so that they could get that physical protection that they needed at that time kind of thing does any of that make sense <laughs> i'm just rambling but yeah so that's what um me and my mom are, are kind of talking about uh, just kind of learning and, and growing in in those principles at, at this point um but like what what have you learned mom from from any or all of that well first to understand it better i had to understand what was an iniquity versus a sin and you can go ahead and explain that <laughs> The iniquities are actually things that come generation, generational. They're passed on to us. They're, they're iniquities. But we have to take care of those iniquities, even though that we're not the ones that initiated that stuff. But that has to, everybody seems to have iniquities. I, I'm learning all the time. There's, uh -huh. But it's not like we like pay for the sins of our ancestors because no. they just didn't want to deal with it, right? No, no. But for some reason, it uh, it didn't get fixed in their lifetime in order to not get passed down. So alcoholism, the, the great example that we're using this time, <laughs> like if they would have fixed it themselves in their lifetime and taught their children better, then that iniquity wouldn't have been passed on. But if they didn't fix it and you know taught their children that it was okay etc and perpetuated that then that iniquity for sure gets passed on and and perpetuated throughout the generations until somebody stops it changes course and uh, removes that iniquity from from their their lives or or their spheres of influence kind of thing so i mean i don't know that it's kind of a confusing concept until you just somehow the, the spirit just teaches it to you and, you and it clicks or whatever but but sins versus iniquities is a huge uh wrestle that we have to just try to to work through and understand but it's not like we're we're paying for our father's sins that's not what i'm saying but but dysfunctional habits we do have to pay for and we have to work at reversing those anyway <laughs> i feel like i kind of railroaded that one sorry no you're good it's not a problem so it just made me think about that in 49 about carrying so there's a point that we have to to carry so when we go to the temple i take it into the temple um i always say a prayer for that person whether it's my ancestor or i forgot a name and i am using somebody else's but that they will accept these ordinances and that they can they can do their part on the other side of the veil to forward the work for our family or their family. That's always a prayer I say. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And and that's a big part of what we're talking about. Yeah. So I'm kind of I've kind of always been surprised that that isn't like doctrine taught. I guess that's just something the spirit teaches you and you just work through it. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the great things about the temple in general. The Lord loves to do his own teaching in the temple. That's why we don't have classes taught there or, or things offered. It's because, you know, everybody needs taught in their own way and at their own time and, and things. And, and so that that was given to you, like, Hey, you, you know, to, to offer up prayers on behalf of your, your ancestors while you're there and stuff that, um, something that I've recently been doing, um, in some of my temple uh, experiences, like I pray for my ancestors, you know, bless them in their missionary efforts and, uh, you know, help them to, uh, to contact and, and have, uh, a loosed tongue so that they can can eloquently convey the the thoughts of their hearts and have a convincing spirit about them kind of thing you know like um and then you know for the people that the names that i take through like just trying to have a conversation with them almost and and stuff you know but you know nobody teaches that ever uh but you know you hear little things here and there like uh just what you said that you know sometimes the, the spirit just kind of teaches us to to do some of those things and we just that, the the spirit uh, the holy ghost in this is key to understanding and to to going forward and who need but to do to ask for uh, the holy ghost's help you need to pray to heavenly father and ask questions like do i have ancestors that need help do i have posterity that needs help and um and it's going to be through the holy ghost where you get your answers you know because uh, that's how uh, we're taught these things and that's how heavenly father gets the message to us and so prayer and and listening to the the spirit is how you're going to maneuver your way through this or you wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for that those two things i just chuckled because i can't remember how many years i i wish i was in the celestial room and there was somebody there from the temple presidency or someone that could to me i could ask these questions but you're right you just ask this, you ask heavenly father and the spirit will tell you and sometimes you pick up the scriptures and the answers there or it just comes to you or it comes to you when you're driving home you're like oh or it comes to you 10 years later like oh sometimes it's, it's quite a while after but yeah i i remember thinking the same thing i i was like what i can't just go up and ask a temple worker and they know all things like <laughs> they're just their servant and 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 being great at, at helping us through everything but yeah I, I asked a member of the temple presidency once something i can't even remember what it was uh, but it was like oh well the lord will answer that in his own time for you and i'm like what kind of answer is that? Why would you say that to me? Just give me the answer. <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing how the Lord actually does his teaching. And um, it, well, and it's through other people. Sometimes it is a simple word. It's the way they emphasize mm -hmm. some words or something. You're like, oh, wow. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh. And sometimes like a temple sealer will just be like, you know what? I feel like somebody needs to hear this today and, and kind of teach that principle or, or something. But you know, those are a little more far and few between, but yes, yeah. sure. that's very interesting how the Lord works there. Um, 
So in this structure, so this week, we're specifically focused on temporal salvation versus next week, we're going to be talking about spiritual salvation. So the spiritual salvation is talking specifically why we need a savior to come and perform a Davidic covenant for us and, and what that looks like and uh, all that that entails. We'll, we'll cover that next week. But this week is a tale of two cities. Um, there's the, the great city, well, it's an unidentified city, but it, it, it's the archetype for Babylon, and then the, the city Zion. And so um, I wanted to kind of look through uh, some of these verses that, that help point us in the right direction here. So um, I'm just going to kind of read this. So on the, the left-hand side is the, the bad city, and on the, the right side is the good city. So God punishes the, those who misrule in uh, the earth versus where he actually de delivers the poor and the needy. So it says that in that day will Jehovah deal on high with the hosts of high on high and on earth with the rulers of heaven. They shall be herded together like prisoners to a dungeon and shut in confinement many days as punishment. Was he smitten as were his smiters, or was he slain as were those, they who slew him? And then uh, throughout that same section, he, he talks about how he delivers the poor and the needy, saying, you were a refuge for the poor, a shelter for the needy in distress, a cover from the downpour and shade from the heat. When the blasts of tyrants beat down like torrents against the wall, in that day you will say, this is our God, whom we expected would save us. This is Jehovah for whom we have waited. Let us joyfully celebrate his salvation. Those whose minds are steadfast, O Jehovah, you uh, persevere in perfect peace, for in you they are secure. It is trodden underfoot by the feet of the poor, by the footsteps of those impoverished. And so it goes on to, to talk about a few different concepts here, but it's always in the, the framework of these two cities um, uh, where he overtakes the inhabitants of, of the evil city versus uh, he's a refuge in the day of calamity for the, the righteous. Um, there's no resurrection for the lords that, that persecute God's people, but there is resurrection for Jehovah's people. Um, there's a, a deposition of the earth's rulers versus where he exalts his righteous. Um, there's a lack of wine which is an interesting one where we're talking about alcoholism here, but um, there's a lack of wine uh, where men no longer drink wine amid song. Liquor has turned bitter to drinkers. Outside has heard the clamor for wine through all joy has become, though all joy has become gloom, the earth's vitality is gone. Yet there is a sumptuous feast in this mountain will Jehovah of hosts prepare a sumptuous feast for all peoples, a feast of leavened cakes, succulent and delectable, of matured wines well refined. So it's just this complete reversal. Uh, you know how we talked about in the very first section, the ruin and rebirth. Um, it, it's just an equal and opposite pendulum that, um, or, or scale of, of justice that, that gets meet out in, in the last days. Um, there is no more joy amongst the wicked versus a renewed joy um, that, that gets brought out uh, amongst the faithful. I'd like to, to read just that, uh, this part of it. So then will these lift up their voice and shout for joy and those from across the sea exult at Jehovah's ingenuity. 
Because of it, they will give glory to Jehovah in the regions of sunrise and in the isles of the sea to the name of Jehovah, the God of Israel. From a sector of the earth, we hear singing, glorious are the righteous. Whereas I thought I am wasting away, I am weakening, woe is me. The traitors have been treacherous. The turncoats have deceitfully betrayed. In that day, you will say to, no, this is our God, whom we expected would save us. This is Jehovah for whom we have waited. Let us joyfully celebrate his salvation. Yet shall your dead live when their bodies arise. You will say to them, awake and sing for joy, you who abide in the dust. Your dew is the dew of the sunrise, for the earth shall cast up its dead in that day. Sing of the earth as of a delightful vineyard. Um, anyway, and then ultimately, it's the wicked city that's destroyed where the righteous city is saved. And so just kind of as a big overview of uh, the, the tale of two cities, that's <laughs> the, the basic rundown. Um, but... Uh, Again, we're talking about the temporal salvation this week versus the spiritual salvation that happens next week with Christ. Um, the temporal salvation is, is heavily um, uh, based on the, the idea of this Davidic servant, this end time servant that will rise to, uh, to help put things in motion to actually uh, exalt this, this righteous city uh, that has been went through the the depths of uh despair of humiliation etc it will finally uh receive its its exaltation and and go through that ascent phase uh, in in the last days does that all make sense <laughs> no <laughs> um let's see Yeah. So, um, what chapter, Laura, did you say that you wanted to, uh, to hit on what it was 48 or 49? Sorry, you're muted. 49. 49. Right. Yeah. Let's go tackle that one real quick. All right. Um, see how many verses are there six so um would you actually read like those first 10 or whatever and then i'll, I'll finish up on that or mom do you want to read like uh 11 through through 20 yeah just go to the top and um and don't keep scrolling until i get to that part gotcha. <laughs> i forget that sometimes <laughs> hear me oh isles listen you distant peoples Jehovah called me before I was born in the belly, before I was in my mother's womb. He mentioned me by name. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He has made me into a polished arrow. In his quiver, he kept me secret. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I, am, whom I will be glorified. I had thought I had labored in vain. I had spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Yet um, my cause rested with Jehovah, my recompense with my God. And now Jehovah has said, he who has formed me from the womb to be his servant, to restore Jacob to him, Israel having been gathered to him. 
for I won honor in the eyes of Jehovah. When my God became my strength, he said, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore those preserved of Israel. I will also appoint you to be a light to the nations that my salvation may be to the end of the earth. Thus says Jehovah, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who is despised as a person, who is, um, who is abhorred by his nation, a servant to those in authority. Kings shall rise up when they see you. Princes shall prostrate themselves because Jehovah's, Jehovah keeps faith with you. Because the Holy One of Israel has chosen you, thus says Jehovah, at a favorable time, I have answered you. In the day of salvation, I have come to your aid. I have created you and appointed you to be a, to be of the, to be a covenant of the people, to restore the land and reprobation the desolate estates, to say to the captives, come forth, and to those in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feel, feed along the way, and pasture find all barren heights. They shall not hunger or thirst, nor be smitten by the heat wave or the sun. He who has mercy on them will guide them. He will lead them by the springs of water. Right. Erlene's turn. Yeah, mom, you want to read? You're muted. Sorry. All my mountain ranges I will appoint as roads. My highways shall be on high. See these coming from afar, these from the northwest, and these from the land of Sinem. Shout for joy, O heavens, celebrate, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. Jehovah is comforting his people, showing compassion for his afflicted. But Zion said, Jehovah has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her suckling infant or feel no compassion for the child in her womb? Although these shall, shall forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you in on my palms. I have sealed you to be continually before me. Your sons have hastened your ravagers away those who ruined you shall depart from you lift up your eyes and look around you with one accord they shall and shall they gather and come to you as surely as i live says jehovah you shall adorn yourself with them all as with jewels bind them on you as does a bride for your ruins and ravaged places and your land laid waste shall now be too small for your inhabitants, despite the uh, departure of your devourers. The children born during the time of your bereavement shall yet say in your ears, this place is too cramped for us. Give us space in which to settle. And you will say to yourself, who bore me these while I was bereaved and barren? I was exiled, banished, by whom these were reared. When I was left to myself, where were they? 
let's see, let me, I'll finish out. So thus says my Lord Jehovah, or is it there? To myself, or, yeah. Thus says my Lord Jehovah, I will lift up my hand to the nation, raise my ensign to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosoms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, queens, your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you, their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust of your feet. Then shall you know that I am Jehovah and they <clears throat> and that they who hope in me are not disappointed. Can the warrior's spoil be taken from him or the tyrant's captives escape free? Yet thus says Jehovah, the warrior's spoil shall indeed be taken from him and the tyrant's captives escape free. I myself will contend with your contenders and I will deliver your children. I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh. They shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine and all flesh shall know that I am Jehovah. I, I Jehovah am your savior, that your redeemer is the valiant one of Jacob. Like, I don't know how many times I, I've read that chapter before, you know, in seminary or, or Sunday school and stuff. It means so much more now, doesn't it? <laughs> there's, there's just so much to it. Um, let's see, what was the, I, I think it's about this very thing we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, exactly. That's what I was thinking too. And I can't put it into words, but I just, I like that. I, somewhere, where is it that, um, well, we know that enzyme is the end servant, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but up above there, I can't remember exactly where it was, but he chooses the ones to help him. And that I say that all of us here have been chosen or we wouldn't be here trying to learn more. Uh, we've been awakened to the, that fact. And um, I think it's, it's all about that. And then there at the end is talking about the the foster fathers and nursing mothers. Well, that's the hundred forty four thousand that mm -hmm. that go out and and gather from the four corners of the earth the elect and bring them to Zion. And I mean, it's all about this thing that we've been talking about. So would you say, I would say all of us here thrive on serving others. Would you say that's your, like, that's what brings you joy. That's what gets you out of a bad day as you go do something for someone else. That isn't a normal thing, is it? <laughs> it's, it's not a normal thing to, to want to do things for other people. I, and that's what I live for. I mean, that's what I want to serve my family and I want to help other people and I want to lighten their load and I want to do things for them. I want to do those things. And I've always wanted to, you know, if I'm having a bad day, I'll bake some cookies and I'll take it, you know, I'll have some cookie dough and I'll take it to someone else. And that just brings me so much joy, even if they don't even acknowledge that something's been done for them. And I would say 95% of the time, that's what happens. It's okay, because it still brings me that joy, that peace, that, that part. And so when, when, it's, when we're reading this part about caring and helping and looking, and I mean, I just, I feel like that explains who I am. That's what I want to be. That's who I want to be. And I want to do that for the Lord. I want to, I want to be his hands. I want to do what he wants me to do, what he puts in my path. 
So then I look at, you know, these other examples of these prophets that have gone through these really hard times, like, oh my gosh, how? And I just have to have faith because I know that he will, he will lead me through those things. Most of the time I can say that. Most mm. of the time I can say that. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I could still do this. Just go away. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if we want great blessings for those that are around us, we have to be willing to, to go through some, some hard things. Um, it, it's amazing how the Lord tutors us and, and helps us along uh, kind of in those uh, small and simple ways. And then it, it keeps growing and, and escalating. But that's what really brings joy when we can actually brighten someone's day, when we can actually uh, help them talk through something in their life, uh, when we can actually take upon ourselves their burden for a while uh, so that they can can press forward and and start uh, escaping from any kind of bondage or oppression that they, they might be feeling the the great burdens that, that they have and anyway just kind of keeps growing and escalating and the lord keeps deepening our capacity to help as we're willing to just act on on the promptings and the the teachings that were being given uh, on a daily basis. But I, I like what you said. That's not normal, is it? Like, <laughs> it, it's not the normal for, for the world. I was watching. No, imagine if everybody did that, how different the world would be. I mean, yeah. right? We wouldn't have all these problems that we have because mm-hmm. we would want to be helping each other, not becoming better than someone else or richer than someone else or whatever. We'd want to be. And, and then that is the way that the Lord wants it, not a forced governmental way of, you know, that would be Satan's way, but the Lord mm-hmm. wants to want these things. So that would be like living the law of consecration, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, you, the law of consecration it in its perfect form, you know, and uh, really having that come from within people's hearts of its own accord without, you know, it being mandated or, or pressured or, or anything, but just to love freely and to, to fully put your all into, into, to being one, having everything as one great whole. So is this feeling that we're talking about, is this an acting or the um, Davidic covenant being a Davidic? How did you say that? Say those, say those words. Cause when you look it up on the church website, you can't find this. Can you find this? I haven't been able to find this on there. Yeah, it, it's very interesting because um, somebody was asking me that just the other day. They're like, how do I help teach this to other people? Because they want like proof or they want the scriptures, et cetera. Well, the the main thing, I it's not like really known by Davidic covenant other than through the, the Bible community. If you look it up, you know, on Wikipedia or whatever, it's definitely there. But um, in, in our church vernacular, it, it kind of gets lost. We... Uh, we don't have necessarily a term for it, uh, but we just have these scriptural uh, precedents and examples. And what Isaiah is pointing towards is always going back to David, Abraham, and uh, King Hezekiah. Those are the three main examples of the Davidic covenant and, and how to um, start doing that. Uh, Isaiah being obviously the, the number one uh, <laughs> person the number one resource on it and i think that that's why the lord uh, commands us to actually 
studying the, uh, the words of Isaiah. Like, how long have I been disobedient in that specific commandment for my whole life? And, and now I'm finally coming to the party and I totally get it now. I get why the Lord needs us to study Isaiah because in the end time, just like it said at the beginning of, of that chapter here, in the end time, right before Jehovah comes to reign, everything starts amping up. And when it does, when suffering amps up both um, as a, a punitive suffering and redemptive suffering, when both of those things start amping up, there's a way provided. And it's just like it says here in uh, 49 that we just read. Um, oh, where is it? When, when we think that we've been uh, forsaken or whatever, and he's like, no, you haven't been forsaken. Can a woman forget her suckling child? I, I guess. I mean, it's a long shot, but it can happen. But I will never forget thee because I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. So when everything gets too insurmountable for you to even tackle, I will send proxy saviors out. I, that That's his promise. Um, I, I've never really linked the the beginning verses with the end verses there in that same chapter of isaiah but that's what he's saying i will not forget thee and it's not like yes he came in and did the atonement and and that brings about our spiritual salvation but the temporal salvation is wrought by proxy saviors in the end time and uh that's what he's promising there in in chapter 49 when it gets so bad in the end times I will start calling out my proxy saviors to go out and start helping people through these, these sufferings so that they can escape the, the bondages that will be placed upon them. That well, and these will be families, out. family on the other side of the veil that we've done work for, that we've released to do this yeah. work. We've already done it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge part of So on this side, will it be translated? If it wouldn't, it's so bad, it'll be translated people. So hopefully it's us that's helping these people. Yeah, so it's the people that's on the sun servant level and the seraphim level. Uh, those two levels are the the proxy saviors. They 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 have different functions, um, but they're they're both the the proxy saviors in the end time. Yeah, it, it's amazing once you mm-hmm. we start learning these scriptural examples and and what um, is really being taught and, and explained as best it can be explained because it's not a general principle for the whole church or else it would be taught in general conference over the pulpit kind of thing but those that are ready for it and and ready to to live that are are being led to it in uh in great amounts you know like uh, when we were talking with Avraham and Rodolfo or whatever they're they're talking about how many people are searching are doing google searches for Isaiah and and Davidic covenants and uh, uh, proxy work, etc. I mean, it's not just our faith, but many people are searching for for some of these Isaiah promises uh, to to be fulfilled and, and wanting to learn more how to do it, uh, what what it looks like in an end time scenario kind of thing. Because man, the world's getting scary. <laughs> if, if 2020 and 2021 have taught us anything, it's we we can't delay or procrastinate any longer. We we've got to start. Um, learning and hearing him uh being led and and sometimes it seems insurmountable we might be thrown into a a fiery furnace of of knowledge but um uh, the lord's with us uh, as we uh, fulfill that that promise to hear him 
it's amazing how, how everything pans out. <laughs> Cameron, um, like in the, all this is in the scriptures, uh, if we just know what we're looking for. Um, like about the 144,000, they're referred to in different ways in different uh, books in the scriptures. I wrote this down from what Avraham was talking about the other night. Uh, in Daniel, they're called the saints of the Most High. In Revelation, servants of the Most High. And also in Daniel, he calls them the saviors on Mount Zion. We hear that. Well, that's what it's referring to. And then in Revelations, the, the high priests. Um, these are all, when we come across these, they're all referring to the 144,000. And I'm guessing there's probably um, keywords in the scriptures that are for the Davidic covenant. Do we know what those are? Because Abraham, get, do, do, can you bring those up? To, to uh -huh. Sons and servants. If you do word searches for those two terms, it almost... 95% of the time is talking about uh, that proxy work that sons or servants or Davidic covenant uh, people are, are doing and enacting. So like, just, just look and come follow me. Anytime it says son or servant, uh, try, try looking for Davidic covenant language and, and see how it pops up. It's amazing how, how it's always been there in front of our faces and, and sometimes I just didn't know what we were looking for. Yeah, I just didn't know what I was looking for. That's but... why you don't see a Davidic covenant. Like I said, I a month ago I didn't even know what that was. Well, it's been a couple of months since I got that, but didn't even know what that was. I had never heard of it before, but it's in the scriptures used in different language. Now that we know. And we can see them. We can see this in the scriptures, Book of Mormon. Uh, all uh, it's everywhere mm -hmm. about. You know, this. one of the biggest eye-opening ones to me was the sons of Helaman. It's like, oh, that changes the whole story for me. Like it, it just makes so much sense now. <laughs> sons of Messiah as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, that makes me think of how many different titles the savior has through the scripture exactly yeah and you know how great that was to have that all compiled in one list oh my goodness i mean that was just so empowering to yeah be able to pull that all together exactly and uh one thing that just popped in my head with that um one of the greatest titles that for for our heavenly father that i mean he has many titles himself but the one that he chooses for us to, to call him by, or uh, the, the most beloved one is, is father. Um, I, I think it's Elder Christofferson that had like a Mormon ad uh, video about that. Um, but anyway, uh, father. And father is a term for Davidic covenant stuff as well. And it's like, oh man, everything just makes so much sense under that, um, that reference there. So there's sons slash servants. Those are the, the one end of a Davidic covenant. But on the opposite end, you're, you're making that covenant with a, a father or a king, um, that uh, Susran principle there. Anyway, I, <laughs> there's so much. I, 
we could spend a whole semester just on Davidic Covenant, but well, I that's probably what we're doing here with this too. <laughs> well, you know, when uh, we received the patriarchal priesthood in the ceilings, um, what's the first office? It's father, mother, mm -hmm. you know, and then grandfather, grandmother. And then it moves on to the kings and queens and and so forth. I mean, it's it's part of the offices of the patriarchal order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, final comments or anything for <laughs> the night. This went by so fast. I, I think I took up most of the time. Sorry. <laughs> you know. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, Elle had a question in the chat. Did we address that? Generational curses. I, I didn't address it. Um, When did that come up? Or was It's it? been a little while ago. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes that chat, I, I just forget to... When we were talking about iniquity, uh -huh. passed down iniquity, is that the same thing as generational curses? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those curses are sometimes, I don't know, sometimes that's a bad word for people, generational curses, and that's why I tend to kind of shy away from it. I call it iniquity versus sin kind of thing. But yeah, generational curses, uh, anytime that we're suffering um, because of generational things. Yeah, like Book of Mormon talks about generational curses a lot. But um, generational curses sometimes has a bad uh, connotation with like the energy healing world right now um that's a, oh, okay. one of those words that sometimes gets misconstrued in in that so i <laughs> i don't know i tend to shy away from it but but yes that's exactly what it's talking about when when we're in scripture you find uh generational curses that's exactly um the principle i was going for i was going to ask you if you saw rodolfo's um post in isaiah um institute about the worms I haven't yet. No. <laughs> oh my heck, it's the best. <laughs> I never thought I'd be excited about worms. <laughs> so I'll just have to tell you, you'll have to go read it, but um mm -hmm. I had just gone out to feed strawberries to my worm farm. Mm -hmm. When I was walking out there, um the 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 scripture phrase worms that never dieth just like coming through my head. I'm like, and I was gonna come in and look that up and then I I did that thing that you, you know that you say. I went instead, right? <laughs> Rodolfo's thing about worms. I mean, it was just that it was that quick, like just that quick. Interesting. Uh huh. And so it's a great um, little sermon about worms. It's really good. Hmm. I'm gonna have to go look that up. I, I honestly, when you said that, I'm like, does worms even appear in the scriptures at all? I've I've never. Oh my heck! It is like yeah, it's all over, and it's this is the best because the savior calls himself a worm interesting so there's the curse of a worm and then there's the savior huh. yeah I, i'm very intrigued i'm gonna have to go read that <laughs> it is really good yeah it is really good I, I thought i knew some of my scriptures pretty well i've never thought about worms before that's a totally new one <laughs> <laughs> and, and i love that it was coming to you at like a even beforehand, even before you went and read Rodolfo's thing, just yeah, it was. It was right there. Through your head. I love my little worms, my composting worms, because I can uh -huh. feed them kitchen scraps and 
they devour them really quick <laughs> yeah i need to get into that I've, I've always wanted to i just never have gotten around to it i finally started mealworms uh recently so that i can feed those to my chickens and etc but i've never done actual worms <laughs> red, it's red wigglers that you want okay. and you can online you can you can get them mm-hmm. and then once you get them you can start selling them to other people too oh really so they... i don't know about shipping i don't think i want to ship you some worms but <laughs> yeah I'm not sure how that would work out. I know they ship them, but I'm not sure how they ship them. I just got mine from a friend here. Mm, gotcha. And yeah. That's yeah, very interesting. From your paper and your cardboard and your eggshells, and it's pretty cool. And then you plant your in, in their dirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Learning all of those skills for the these end times is, is crucial because we're not going to have the internet to go look and see how to do it later. <laughs> you need to start learning those skills now. Huh? yeah all right well it's been fun <laughs> next week is going to be an interesting one um i'm going to be traveling down to education week and and things and so uh, hopefully i i get to um uh, oh my gosh the nancy's house by uh six o'clock uh, but if i'm a little bit late i'm I'll, i'm no i'm coming <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be traveling. So um, any other things? If not, we'll, we'll say goodbye for the night. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'm glad that you could join that um, thing on Tuesday. That was really cool. Yeah. There's some great mm -hmm. questions. It was fun. Yeah. It was really fun. It seems like forever ago. That was just a week ago. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we get the recording of that soon. Uh, I want to go back and watch some of those. Yeah. I don't know if he's, he said a lot of things, so I'm not sure that he's going to want it all out there. Yeah, for sure. But I'm glad that he said them. It was good to hear from him. And mm -hmm. that, yeah, and I don't know if I, I told this group like Avraham is uh, we're working out a schedule right now for him to to join in with our groups uh, sometime October ish um, is what we're shooting for. So, yeah, we'll be able to even ask more questions. It's going to be fun. <laughs> that would be awesome. And that's pretty cool that you're one that he is um, counting on to help. That's really fun to. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I'm just learning the ropes here, helping Rodolfo. So, yeah, that's super cool. And Rodolfo too, right? He's doing mm -hmm. it. Those... Do you know the other people? Uh, there's a few of us. Yeah. The, on the marketing team, we just got a chat going and kind of doing some website stuff right now, kind of proofreading things moment cool. well thank you for your work and then <laughs> you have that that site together that doesn't have the our churchy stuff on it i'm excited to share that more i think that will be really helpful uh yeah so the um isaiah institute.com is going to be the one that is going to be like non-denominational and then the new site is called uh, book of mormon isaiah i believe and that one's the one that has just like all of our church stuff and and everything kind of like it is right now but then he's going uh -huh. to make okay. yeah separate the two out because he's wanting to do a lot with outreach to actual jewish people and um get them involved in isaiah and and some good discourse and classes and, and things like that i'm excited about that i'm super excited about that i i love the way isaiah institute is and I don't want that to change, but I want that separate part to share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Up with this other stuff right now. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's super fun. And they're just getting ready to launch it too. So it's not going to be too much longer. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much.
Yep. <laughs> All right. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see okay. you. See you too. Bye. Bye.